much shock can you take? <laughs> to complete a double night of horror, a monstrous nightmare of terror turned loose in a fight to the death. It could only be shown at midnight. Two of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. Welcome to week two of Edgar August Poe Month here on Monster Kid Radio, where we're celebrating classic genre films with an Edgar Allan Poe connection. And this week, we're talking about a Vincent Price classic. We'll get to that here in a second. The guest that I have on board this week, I mean, it's Dr. Gain Green. Larry Underwood. He's back on the show. He's a huge fan of all things Vincent Price, and that should be your first clue as to what movie we're going to be talking about. And how many of my guests on Monster Kid Radio have had a song written about them? I I think just the one. The song we're playing this week is Calling Dr. Gang Green. It's from the band The Gino Royd Experience. It is from their album Themes from an imaginary spook show. Check it out. You can pick it up on Amazon and a number of other online retailers. It's a great song. And I'll be playing the song again in its entirety at the end of the episode. In fact, the song that I play at the end of the episode actually has lyrics. So stay tuned for that. Okay, you know what? If you're paying attention, if you're over at monsterkidradio.net, you've already seen the title of this episode or maybe even the cover art, the poster that I made up for the movie Tales of Terror. It's a Vincent Price, Roger Corman film. And Larry is kind of an expert when it comes to Vincent Price, and is a huge fan of Roger Corman, and this was the movie he picked. I went to him. He was one of the first people I went to when I decided I was going to do Edgar August Poe Month, because I know he loves these Corman Poe adaptations. And this was the movie. Of the five or so there are, this is the one he picked. Now, of course, we're going to be playing around of the classic five as well, because we do that every episode now here on Monster Kid Radio. And we'll be talking about a few of the other things that Larry's got cooked up. Dr. Gang Green's Heroes of Horror and an upcoming appearance that he'll be making at the Georgetown Drive-In. So that'll be coming up as well. Also, in this episode, we have Jeff Polier calling in the Weird Wednesday Report. And it's about my favorite film of all time. You know what that is. If you know me, you know what movie that is. But you'll hear what Jeff has to say and an interesting theory he puts forward. Also, Michael Dodd's Vault of Monster Collectibles is back this week. And in it, he writes about something that's kind of sort of related to the movie that Jeff called in about. It was a happy accident. Wasn't intentional, but it's a really cool installment. Michael Dodd, thank you for contributing to the show this way. And of course, that's read by my wife, Brenda, who joins me at the end of the episode for a round of feedback. We got a number of emails that we're catching up on. And actually, I recorded that installment of feedback last week. But I didn't put it in the last week's episode, so you're going to get it in this episode, which is going to make this episode supersized, or at least a little bit longer than last week's episode. So why don't we go ahead and get to it? Enough with this jibber-jabber, Derek. Let's roll into everything we got going on right after this. (laughs) 
Nothing can strip your nerves screamingly raw like the diabolical Dr. Z and his doubly diabolical daughter. can you take? Warning, this picture is for people with nerves of steel. Get rid of her right away. The sooner the better. I'm leaving here and Nadia's coming too. Too late now. Hi, this is Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast? I'll never smile again. Wow, that's a little mean. How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Horrors Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous. I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the, uh, best fans? Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horror Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. What do you think of the Classic Horror Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. reaches of the cosmos, an unknown force is overpowering mankind. I can't get enough build-up. We'll never get off the ground. Calm down. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, fire. The greatest threat in outer space, the war of the planets. You can't stop them. Lazar's no good. You can't stop them. They're lights, but they've got shape. They're more than lights. When you have them within, you experience a power of mind beyond all comprehension. Working feverishly, courageous astronauts vainly search for a transparent enemy that has overtaken their space station, paralyzing every form of life and motion and prepare for immediate evacuation of all space installations. All the forces on Earth have been mobilized to combat this invisible, supernatural, deadly power that is crippling man's progress in space. No signs of rigor mortis. No signs of decay or corruption. Man's willpower, 
His will to live is being crushed. It's a battle of wits against a subtle enemy for which there is no defense. Two will be fascinated, awed, gripped, mesmerized, enslaved by the will of the deadly diaphanoids. What is it you want? Friendship. I know how to deal with them. General, I'm going to call radiation control. Wait, Mike. It's a desperate fight. But a handful of fearless spacemen search for every sign, for every face that might hide the seed, the spawn of death that threatens to destroy the Earth. We don't know whether we should treat them as living or dead, whether to do biopsy or autopsy. The apparatus is not required. I don't think that's for you to decide. I will do the thinking, Commander. It's a power of gigantic proportion. It corrodes the very will of mankind. This is a film you cannot miss. Man, pitched against the unknown, the incredible, the war of the planets. The war of the planets. Derek and the Monster Kids, this is Jeff Pullier calling with a weird Wednesday report. I'm not sure why I'm bothering this week, though. It's like preaching to the choir when the choir knows more than the preacher. And that's because I'm calling about the creature from the Black Lagoon. What could I possibly say about this movie that Derek hasn't already said or doesn't already know? It is just such a masterpiece. We watched it in 3D at Weird Wednesday last week at the Joy Cinema, and I like 3D movies. A lot of people complain about the resurgence of 3D. I love modern 3D. I love classic 3D. And this movie, the 3D in this, I think beats anything even modern. If you'll pardon the pun, there's such depth to this movie when you see it in 3D. The technical aspects are great. It's a great story for the most part, uh, as... Derek points out, Julie Adams does seem to lose a few IQ points partway through the movie. Her character, that is, not her. She's wonderful. I did surprise Derek with an idea that apparently he never thought of when we talked after the movie. Everyone presumes the creature is male. You know, he, although he's never called in the movie, he's called Jill Man. What if the creature's female? And that's why the creature doesn't kill Julie Adams' character. Uh, because she's sympathetic to another female. It possibly even Julie's character is pregnant and doesn't know it, but the Gill woman can smell that on her and is actually trying to protect her from these violent men. So, just a different way of looking at things. It, it certainly cracked Derek up when I suggested this to him after the movie. 
Otherwise, it's just another creature grabbing the beautiful woman for no uh, explicable reason. Uh, <laughs> so that's my take on it. It's a great movie. It's not the first time I've seen it in 3D. I actually saw it a few years ago in 3D at the 99W Drive-In in Newburgh. But it was so much better seeing it in a sit-down, properly dark theater. I mean, I love the drive-in, but for a 3D movie, this was so much better. Anyway, have a great day. Jeff, my man, it was really awesome to see you at Weird Wednesday and actually go to Weird Wednesday. I hadn't been to a Weird Wednesday at the Joy Cinema in quite some time, but there is no way I was going to miss a screening of Creature from the Black Lagoon at one of my favorite movie theaters. I mean, it was a treat. It was a blast. I love going there. Jeff Punkrock Martin knows how to put on a good show. Weird Wednesday is the place to be every Wednesday night. It was awesome. And I got to introduce the film, which was a good time as well. I did a little bit of the creature connection while I was up there on stage, talked a little bit about that. And I'll be making a YouTube video about that experience here in the near future. And I went to go see Creature from the Black Lagoon again at the Kiggins Theater in Vancouver, Washington, the following Saturday. Now, that was not in 3D, but you know what? It was a lot of fun to go there as well. And again, like I said, there'll be an upcoming YouTube video over at the creatively named Monster Kid Radio on YouTube. YouTube channel. And Jeff, as far as your theory, um, I, I, um, I don't, I'm still kind of flabbergasted by the idea of it, but, uh, why not? In fact, as I think more and more about it, I mean, I can't really write the story myself and expect to do anything with it because Creature and the Gill Man and all that is owned by Universal and there's no way I'm going to play in their sandbox without their permission, but... It does give me some ideas for a monster story of my own with an original female monster that, well, okay, if I talk about it too much now, I won't have the urge to write it later, so I'm just going to put a pin in that one. Thanks again for calling in, Jeff. No. No. Sheer stark terror grips you in underwater 3D in Creature from the Black Lagoon. The most terrifying monster of the ages rises from the sea, raging with pent-up passions. Making every man his mortal enemy, every woman's beauty his prey. Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, starring Richard Carlson and Julie Adams. Every horrifying scene leaps out of the screen right at you. A universal re-release rated G. Mary, no! God, let go! I simply don't understand it. Of course, the sound is coming from the basement. It's all right, I've got you, Mr. Adam. No, no. Show me what? Gotta get away from those eyes! Get away! Get away! George, no! Are you attracted to the dark? Fascinated by the dramatic? With a side of gruesome and a dash of poetic justice? If your happy place is a gloomy room at midnight, then you should be listening to the podcast, 12 Chimes It's Midnight. Please join us, won't you, for plays of mystery, horror, and suspense. Find us and subscribe wherever you procure your podcasts. And remember, at midnight, anything can happen. Buried alive in each man is a strange, depraved creature that turns the soul into a battleground of sin and violence, turning life into an inferno. In Dr. Henry Jekyll is this knowledge. Perhaps it was his quiet ways, his unloving wife, his simple, homely face that drove him to unleash this inner presence. This was Jekyll's inferno. Inferno.
Dr. Jekyll gave life to the unspeakable evil of Mr. Hyde. Rich, handsome, decadent Mr. Hyde erupted to spew adultery, viciousness, murder in the greatest macabre spectacle of all time. American International Pictures presents a fascinating new Dr. Jekyll, a terrifying new Mr. Hyde. Robert Louis Stevenson's study in terrifying evil. Jekyll's Inferno. In color and megascope. From the creative genius of Roger Corman, who brought to the screen Edgar Allan Poe's most shocking horror tales, comes the ultimate in blood-chilling screen experiences. The Terror. Starring the incomparable Boris Karloff. You think I'm mad, don't you? In the role he was born to play. The Terror. Bedeviled by his own mad, all-consuming passions. With my own hands. The terror. His evil, mystic powers go beyond man's wildest imaginings. If he resists, kill him. American International presents The Terror, starring Boris Karloff, dean of all horror demons, in this, his most demanding terrorization. The Terror, a film group production in color and vestoscope. Monster Collectibles number 10, written by Michael Dodd. Creature from the Black Lagoon reissue mask version B, Don Post Studios 1998. Don Post Studios has produced high quality monster masks for monster kids for decades, most notably the calendar masks of the 60s, advertised in the pages of Monster Mags by Warren Publishing. Most kids just dreamed of owning one of these beauties back in the day, since the price of $34 was quite daunting to most kids in the 60s. In 1998, Dawn Post Studios reissued the calendar masks, and many of us finally had the funds to afford what we couldn't as kids. The reissues came in nice display boxes bearing the Universal Monsters logo and had attached tags when new. There is great demand for these post-reissues in today's marketplace. In this episode, we'll focus on the reissue Creature Mask, version B. Current values for an excellent condition Creature Reissue Mask, including the display box and tag, seem to be in the $500 to $600 range. These masks originally sold for $100, so demand has caused a considerable increase since they were introduced 20 years ago. As previously stated, I'm not a big mask guy. However, I am a big creature guy. Creature from the Black Lagoon is my favorite movie, and the Gill Man is my favorite monster. So it's no surprise that I own more creature collectibles than that of any other monster. When Dennis Drucktennis offered some of the post-reissues in one of his Scary Monster Scarehouse sales back in the early 2000s, I ordered four of them. Mole People, Metaluna Mutant, and Dracula didn't have the boxes, but were bargain priced at around $40 to $50 each. I paid up for the creature, which included the display box. It was $100, but I was happy to pay that because it was the one I really wanted. 
I still have those and some additional masks, but the creature is my second favorite mask with none of the others even coming close. My favorite mask in my collection is my Langdon Zombie Kelly Man reissue. Picks this time include one of the ad, which ran in the Captain Company pages of Warren Meggs for the original post-calendar masks, as well as two pics of my creature reissue mask nestled in among some of my other creature collectibles. Enjoy, Lagoon Goons! Next week, we'll look at a playset sold through the Sears Christmas Wish Book in 1967 that many of us cartoon and monster lovers had, the King Kong Jungle Set by MPC. And we'll also cover the rare King Kong window box playset from the same time period. Gotta love them damn dirty apes, Daddy-o. Now I want to see the pictures. Which you can find on the website at monsterkidradio.net. Oh, wow. That isn't like a cardboard mask. That's a, a real monster mask. Look at all that creature stuff. Derek has that creature coming up out of the splashing wave. Mm, I don't know if he has any of these other ones. Oh, look at that glass. Derek's gonna be jelly. beautiful girls and one lone man struggling for survival, with death, sudden, violent, and horrible lurking in the shadows. Horrors of Spider Island. Out of the night came a fate worse than death. A man's mind twisted, his brain poisoned, with an uncontrollable lust to kill. Horrors of Spider Island. A tale of terror that will leave you limp. So hideous and shocking, you won't believe your eyes. His hunger for victims was never satisfied. to be frightened out of your wits by the horrors of Spider Island. Night of the Lepus. Rated PG.
This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Listeners, Monster Kid Radio listeners, welcome to uh, what's going to be an awesome conversation with one of my dearest friends, Larry Underwood, a.k.a. the horror host, Dr. Gain Green. How's it going, Doc? Hey, good to be here, buddy. Thanks for having me. You know, we should sound pretty good at this point. We've been practicing our vocal cords for the past, I'm looking at my Skype counter, hour and 40 minutes we've just been talking. <laughs> Has it been that long? It's been a while, but you know, we've got a movie to talk about. we got some work to do here. We're going to talk about a Vincent Price film. Man, what is it about Vincent Price, Roger Corman, and Poe that just goes so well together? I don't know what it is, but it's Tales of Terror this week. I'm excited for this one. <laughs> of blood feels the freezing paralysis of fear, almost stopping your heart, as Edgar Allan Poe unfolds his tales of terror. You will meet the master of the mansion, who loved and protected his wife with the strength of a supernatural love, even beyond life itself. I am in command here. You will do as I say. I shall take what I desire. Your body and your soul, if I demand it. Then you'll enjoy the Black Cat's sardonically humorous tale. It all started at the Vintners Convention, where the lover of wine met the professional wine taster and introduced him to his wife, a darling who delighted in dalliance. What kind of a man are you anyway? Make love to my wife and doesn't even talk to me. You're insane. That may be, but very clever. Help! 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 In this monstrous mausoleum of the living, you will witness fury far worse than a woman scorned. The fury of a dead woman's jealousy. I love this movie. This this movie's so much fun. That was a real question. That wasn't just a hypothetical. What is it oh, about okay. Price, Poe, and Corman that just works so well? There's just something magical about it. Yeah, no, it is a really great mix. I mean, I think when Corman hit on that Poe series of films, he really struck gold. And Price was the perfect actor for it. You know, one of the films didn't have Price. It had Ray Milan. And it just didn't work quite as well, although it's good. And I've heard Corman talk highly about Ray Milan and his performance in it and everything. That's the premature burial. But Price just brought the perfect blend of a macabre sense about him, and a little bit of over the top, but not too far, a little bit of camp, but not too much. And especially in the, the two uh, humorous ones, The Raven and, and Tales of Terror, 
it really works well. And I feel like this film in particular kind of gives us a mix of it all. This could be used as like a demo reel for the Corman Poe Price collaborations because you've got some over-the-top campiness. You've got some pretty horrific things happening, some scariness, some the gothic stuff, the, the blood. I mean, it's got it all. This is a nice – I'm so glad you picked this one. Oh, yeah. Well, when you asked me which one I would be most interested in talking about, I went to this one first and foremost because it's an anthology film. And, of course, you know how I feel about my anthology movies. I sure. love a good anthology film. This one sort of is a greatest hits of the films up to that point because it takes a lot of pieces and parts of, of elements you see in, in both House of Usher and Pit and the Pendulum and mm-hmm. sort of combines them in some of these shorts. But it does some new stuff because at this point, this was the fourth Poe film and Corman was getting a little tired of the formula. I know I've heard him in interviews talk about at, at this point, he was a little tired of it and he wanted to break it up and introduce some humor to see ho- sort of how that worked. And it worked great. I mean, that second of the three stories in this film is probably my favorite one. And not only that, but it has one of my very favorite segments of any of Vincent Price's entire catalog. And that's the wine tasting segment with him and Peter Lorre. <laughs> so fun. And as a kid, I remember seeing this one very clearly at an early age and it making a real huge impression on me that I really love this movie. They liked it ever since I first saw it. Oh, right on. Well, that's good. I, I mean, I had a blast watching it. I actually just watched it. You know, it feels like forever ago because we've been talking for so long. But I watched it this morning before we started chatting. Um, oh, good. <laughs> I'd seen it before. Uh, so I've watched it a couple of times in particular for this episode. I'm excited to talk about it. I'm excited to get your take on a lot of this. Larry, there's something we do on every episode of Monster Kid Radio. We've got to play around with the Classic Five, man. Okay, cool. It's been a while since we've done that. Yeah, Right, right. And, you know, I've got new cards. And for listeners who are interested, they are available for sale now. You can buy your own deck of the Classic Five. I, I premiered them at Monster Bash. I still have some stock. So if you like what you hear, let me know and we'll make it. Uh, a deck available to you. The Classic Five, for people who don't know what it is, it's a card game. I've got a deck of cards here. Each one of these cards has a yes or no, this or that. What movie is your favorite kind of question? On it, there are no wrong answers. They're all about classic monster movies. It's an icebreaker. Are you ready to play the Classic Five, Larry? I definitely am. Here we go. Right off the top, the first question is actually from our Hammer Film expansion. Larry, what was the most recent Hammer film you've watched? Oh, let me think. What was the last Hammer I would have watched? Oh, I know what I watched recently. I watched Curse of the Werewolf. Nice. The Curse of the Werewolf that was laid on a baby who grew into a man possessed by a monster. To this Spanish town, the night brought drinking and dancing, music and girls, and the moon. The full moon that turned an innocent man into a savage beast. The curse of the werewolf. A man possessed by a desperate need for love who found in Christina all the passionate sincerity of youth. Christina, do you love me? Will you marry me, Christina? You say you love me, will you marry me? Yes. Yes, I will. Help me! Get away! Get away! Get away! No! No! 
that was the last one I watched. Doing some prep work for uh, future YouTube stuff. And yeah, watch that. Yeah. That's a tease, ladies and gentlemen. That's a tease. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and we'll is. talk about that down the line, too. Cause I- yeah, that movie's so good, though. I mean, the design of the, of the monster in it, the makeup. Uh, and the costume are so iconic, you know, Oliver Reed's performance. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. About over the top, but it works so well, you know, that, that rage that he's kind of got inside him anyway as an actor that kind of comes through in his performance. Right. Yeah, yeah. it works uh, really well. Of all the actors Hammer had in their stable, the one that I would imagine would turn into a, a wolfman or werewolf is Oliver Reed. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that monster design is so unique and really, okay, now I love Lon Chaney and I love the universal werewolf cycle. And, and I do prefer that to Curse of the Werewolf, but the werewolf in Curse of the Werewolf, that design is probably the one werewolf design that impacted me the most, mm-hmm. influenced me the most. For years, I always thought I would do a, a really awesome like werewolf Halloween costume, and I always wanted it to look like that, right down to the long sleeve shirt where the cuff's still intact, but the sleeve is kind of ripped up. I mean, just that design just impacted me so much, and it's such a, a great-looking werewolf. I, I yeah. Good stuff, man. It really is. So I, I had a good time re- revisiting it, and it's just it's it's great. I mean, though you were talking about the Universal, and I love the Wolfman. It may be my I don't know if it's my favorite. I go back and forth between you know what who knows. One day, yes, it'll be one day. It'll be the Wolfman. Next day, it might be Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, or it might be the Creature from Black Lagoon. It it just varies. But one thing about this one is that unlike Larry Talbot's werewolf, he doesn't take time to change clothes when he changes. <laughs> <laughs> this is true this is true <laughs> yes. yes Talbot was very picky about his appearance as when it was in his uh, yep. furry form yep so. <laughs> <laughs> alright card number two this is from the core deck who else could have or should have played Dracula hmm. well of course you know I want to say Vincent Price and I think I think he could have been a really good Dracula He's done a vampire a few times, but nothing in a movie. He did it in a, in a couple of TV spots. Uh, there was a um, Snoop Sisters episode where he was sort of in Dracula garb, and that's fun. And then there was an uh, episode of F Troop where he plays a vampire in that. It's called V is for Vampire. But if I were going to cast him, at, I would put him right around 1950. If you look at the film uh, The Baron of Arizona, Mm-hmm. That is the perfect time to cast Vincent Price. His performance in that movie, he is so suave and dapper, and it's a straight performance. There's no camp to it. It's one of my very favorite Vincent Price performances. He is so such a conniver in it and so kind of ruthless the way he – and it's all based on real stories uh, about this guy. Named, I think it was James Addison who tried to steal the entire state of Arizona and almost – succeeded it's a fantastic film if anybody out there hasn't watched it i highly recommend it but i'm casting right around that time okay yeah see when, when you say vincent price and vampire on television i immediately go to his appearance on the muppet show when he bites kermit <laughs> yeah there was that too exactly yeah <laughs> right on uh-huh very cool yeah. and of course you know he was in the monster club oh. as a vampire yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. That was movie. the one time he actually did get to play a vampire, but yeah. he never played Dracula. That's true. That's true. All right, card number three: John Agar or Nick Adams? John Agar, man. Yeah, I mean, 
hands down. Nick's cool, but I mean, there's no, no, no choice. No, there's no choice there. I mean, no decision, no contest. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I, John Edgar rules. He does. He does. As as the uh, the great poets of our generation, the dead Elvi, <laughs> will tell us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Card number. Let's see. That was what three. Card number four. What's your favorite big bug monster movie? Oh, that would Tarantula easily. What if circumstances were to magnify one of them in size and strength, took it out of its primitive world and turned it loose in ours? Then expect something that's fiercer, more cruel and deadly than anything that ever walked the earth. Even science was stunned. The new atomic miracle should have been mankind's greatest boon. Instead, when such power to cause phenomenal growth proved dangerously unstable, man was confronted with his most shocking blunder the isotope triggered our nutrient into a nightmare. A blunder that transformed a tiny insect into the hundred-foot spider that was now ravaging the panic-stricken countryside. John Agar, once again, I love Everything about that movie, the special effects hold up really well mm-hmm. um, for its time. Even the like the the creatures when they're grown and they're in the cages and you can see them in the background, you know, mm-hmm. they look really good. The rear projection or whatever they use, and um, just a little subplot of the acro megaly or whatever on the the guy is cool. That makeup's cool, and I'm a big Jack Arnold fan anyway. And yeah, you you can't. I mean. Preach from Black Lagoon, Tarantula. The guy had some solid, solid films in his his resume, and this is this is a great the explosive Indian Clint Eastwood blowing up the the uh, Tarantula. Yeah, gotta love it. <laughs> good stuff. That's yeah. good stuff. No Tarantula could stand up to Clint Eastwood. Well, this is true. This is true. I'm also finding a. Uh Man, and I had to ask a previous guest of Monster Kid Radio not to tell Julie Adams because he knows Julie Adams. Mm-hmm. But I'm starting to develop a, a crush on Mara Corday. Dude, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no kidding, man. I think, wasn't she like a Playboy model at one point? You know, she was. She didn't show any skin. Not that I looked. No. But, you <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, she. what I'm saying is she was so gorgeous. Her, her She had yeah. that just stunning good looks the physique and everything i mean she was definitely a model um it's great that she got into acting and she's a solid actress i mean taking nothing away from that she is really good yeah anyway go back in the archives and listen to an episode from mid-july for listeners to hear my thoughts on on her and the movie she's in all right card number five oh okay this comes from the hammer expansion neck again larry who never appeared in a hammer film but you wish they had vincent price can I give that answer for everything? <laughs> <laughs> you really can. You really can. How amazing would that it have been? Would have, it really would have been great. I mean, could you could you could stick him into one of the, I don't know, one of the Dracula movies, or you could take your pick. I mean, he, he yeah, he would have been great in it. seeing him and and Lee and Cushing together in those oh, those bl- uh, blood soaked or color drenched Hammer movies. It would have been just fantastic. It would have been amazing. And, you know, the chemistry between the two. Say what you want about the movie House of Long Shadows. I, I enjoy that film just because you get to see them all interacting. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that was the Classic Five. Larry, how do you feel? Great. 
That was fun. All right. Right on. All right. Not that we needed a warm up since we've you know, been chatting for so long. But <laughs> we had a lot to catch up on. We, we really had. It's been a while since we've chatted and you've got a lot going on. And, and, and we'll talk about that here in a bit. But, but we got to talk about Tales of Terror first. Yes. We got to talk about the movie because it's, it's solid. Now, you said this was like the fourth time they had done a film like this? Right. This House of Usher was first and then Pit and the Pendulum was next, 1961. 62 was Premature Burial, mm-hmm. uh, which, of course, had Ray Milan in it. And then the Tales of Terror was the fourth one. Now, do we know why Price did not do Premature Burial? Was there something going on? or? Yeah, well, yeah, there was. Roger Corman had a little bit of a falling out with Nicholson and Arkoff. Okay. And so for that movie, he decided he was going to do it on his own. So he sort of formed his own production company. Okay. And since Vincent uh, was under contract with, at the time, I guess it was with AIP. I guess he was under contract with AIP. They couldn't get him for that, so he cast Ray Milan, who was a fine, fine actor, really good. But the funny thing about it is the company that he formed his partnership with, I say he formed his own company, but it, what he did is he, it was, uh, I think, Pathé Color is who funded it. Okay. Well, what happened was AIP came and they bought out Pathé Color. So Foreman tells this great story about the first day of shooting, he's there on set and Nicholson and Arkoff walk in and they say, hey, we just really want to wish you luck on this. this and they shake his hand. And he thought, well, that was really nice of them, you know, to come in. And Arkoff says, hey, by the way, it's great to be working together again. And Corman said, well, wait a minute. What are you talking about? He goes, oh, yeah, didn't we tell you? We, we bought out uh, Pat Day. So, yeah, this is an AIP picture. So <laughs> <laughs> he tried to get away from him, but he couldn't. They oh, him right back in. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, but what do you do? You know, what do you do? Just, oh. Oh. Well, that's yeah. why yeah. Uh, Price is not in this one. And, and Milan brings a little bit of a different feel to the role, mm-hmm. you know, the way he approaches the character and everything. But I was watching it just the other night, and you can really envision Price delivering those lines, though, the way it's written. Yeah, yeah, you can. You really can. But that one was written by Charles Beaumont. And the other three that, we've, that, that we're talking about here, uh, Tales of Terror, Pit and the Pendulum and Usher, those were all written by Richard Matheson. Uh, but Beaumont, of course, is equally good. You know, it doesn't miss a beat. I mean, they both, I guess I prefer Richard Matheson of the two, but I mean, it's, you know, 1A, 1B, whatever, you know. They're different writers. I mean, Beaumont had a strength, yeah. And, and Beaumont had worked with Corman, you know, on other, on other projects as well, so they had a familiarity with each other. So sure, yeah. Oh, they're both great. I, can't, I couldn't pick one over the other. No, think, it, it's yeah, tough. Yeah. It's really hard. Both did so many Twilight Zones and everything. I mean, they're great, great writers. Indeed, indeed, for sure. Well, with this one, it's an anthology, like you said, and it's not just Vincent Price. I mean, it also has Vincent Price and Vincent Price in it. He's in all three anthology pieces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is Much great. Much like the anthology he would do later, Twice Told Tales, mm-hmm. he did all the stories in that one also. Mm-hmm. So it was just pretty cool. But he plays three very different characters in each of these shorts. And they're all very distinct characters. They're not just, mm-hmm. you know, a version of Vincent Price, which I really appreciated as well because, I mean, it's Vincent Price. I mean, he's bringing his A-game and he's doing it really Absolutely. well. But he's not alone. I mean, we've got some other titans of terror involved here we've got basil rathbone and peter laurie as well in the mix yeah and you know what's great about this movie is that they had had so much success at this point mm-hmm. that corman just really he just kept it rolling he brought the entire production crew all of the guys back together richard matheson wrote the screenplay les baxter on the music cinematography floyd crosby set designer daniel haller and the editor anthony Karras. all of them were 
the team for every one of these up to this point. And he just brought him back. It's like, let's keep this thing rolling. You know, he knew a good thing. And uh, when he had it, and everyone on brought, like you said, brought their A game because the set design and the music in this are so good. Oh, man, it is solid. I, I love Les Baxter's scores. Okay. I'm, I'm a huge fan mm-hmm. uh, of what he does and, and his music in general. I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, his exotica yeah. stuff. In fact, I use my phone as my alarm clock to get up in the morning and it is set to play nothing yeah. but Les Baxter music to wake me up in the morning. That's awesome. You know, it's awesome. I love it. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or I'm just a big dork. I don't know. Either way, I love it. And I love his work in this. And I, I love that the flavor that he brings because some of it feels very hammer like it's got that kind of super gothic but then you also get kind of the fun especially during the second segment that kind of fun like hearted yeah. stuff to it uh, which, which again big fan of of what he brings to the table and it looks so good uh, do you have this on blu-ray or dvd i have it on uh dvd and VHS. Okay. The uh, the version that I watched was the Arrow Blu-ray release. It was released in the UK. It was a six-pack, or excuse me, a five-pack of, was it five or six? I don't remember. But it's got a handful of the Vincent Price Poe stuff in it. And the Blu-ray looks phenomenal. I mean, it, it just, the yeah. colors really pop. Uh, even things that are clearly either a matte shot, a matte painting, or a model, or whatever, still look amazing. Mm-hmm. So, so good. Yeah. You know, and, and again, it sounds amazing too. So the stories in this, they're all Edgar Allan Poe stories. And we've got three pieces in the film, but probably bits and pieces of six or seven Poe stories. <laughs> they kind of mixed and matched whatever they get their hands on that hadn't been exploited yet. Yeah, they did. And um, made in 1962 mm-hmm. or premiered in 1962. And, and I'll tell you something, something cool about it. Victoria Price was born in April of 62 on the 20, April 27th. This was the first film that hit the theater after she was born. Mm-hmm. Just a little something there. It was right at the same time, you know, so it's kind of cool. But yeah, this is a great one, and it's, it's easily probably my favorite of the bunch, of all the, of all the Poe movies. Real, well, I mean, I guess so. You did say you wanted to do this one, so yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, it's an anthology film, and it's got that little sense of humor about it that works so well you know the three stories uh, morella the black cat and the facts in the case of m valdemar are, are what they're called but again the black cat's got a little bit of cask of amontillado in there uh the facts in the case of m valdemar i think is pretty much nothing but that story but again mm-hmm. there's enough kind of sprinkled in here to get a crash course on Edgar Allan Poe as well. And I love the cask of Amontillado. That's one of my favorite Edgar Allan Poe stories. Mine too. Yeah. yeah mine too. I, I adore it. I was forced to read it in high school and I, I, I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know anything about Poe other than, you know, he made, he wrote stories, he wrote poetry. And I guess I had seen Pit and the Pendulum up until that point. Cause they showed that to us in junior high school of all things, but oh, uh, yeah. which I thought was, cool <laughs> but when i yeah. when i think back on it now i'm like why were they showing us the pit and the pendulum in my, my ninth grade english class i don't understand but whatever um when I, I tell you we read the telltale heart in oh high school. man and, uh, i guess junior high or maybe it was even yeah that's junior high and it mm-hmm. blew my mind i was like are we really reading a story about somebody that kills an old man and chopped him up and hides his body parts under the floorboards. Are we really doing this? This is amazing. <laughs> right? How awesome it is that? My mind. Awesome. Yeah. And even some of that makes its way into the Black Cat segment. Just a little bit of that yes. too. It's, just a little smidge, yeah. Yeah, the, this is probably the most of the uh, of the three, the one that's got the most Edgar Allan Poe stuff in it. The other two stories I think are pretty straight. Um, I'm not overly familiar with the story uh, that Morella was based on. Are you? 
No, I don't know that. I've read that. I'm not overly familiar but, with it, yeah. but that's what opens up the the piece, and it's mm-hmm. it's just three people. It's just three actors. It's Vincent Price, Maggie Pierce is his daughter, mm-hmm. and right. and her mother is played by Leona Gage. I don't know much about Maggie Pierce with Leona Gage. Are you, are you familiar with their work? Uh, I do know that Richard Matheson was not at all uh, happy with Maggie Pierce's performance. Really, that he thought that she was a horrible actress and that she brought the entire movie down. I do know that. Wow. So, um, I saw a quote. Hang on, I've got a quote here. Okay, this is Richard Matheson talking. He says, I must sound like an egomaniac, but once again, I thought it was a very good script. But on that first segment, Morella, the casting really bugged me. I always refer to that segment as Shirley Temple in the Haunted House. In my script, it was a really great character relationship between the two of them. Price was up to it. And I was visualizing someone like Nina Folk playing the dying daughter. But this girl that they got, Maggie Pierce, was terrible. And they also cut a lot out of it, so it just didn't work. The middle one, the black cat, had Laurie and Price and Joyce Jameson, who was marvelous. I enjoyed that middle one. I thought Price was wonderful, and the wine-tasting segment was just delightful. And the last one, the facts in the the case of M. Valdemar, except for the lousy special effect at the end, I thought was very good. One of my favorites. They did a really nice job on that. Very intelligent. Huh. And that's from a Tom Weaver book. Okay. Interviews. Yeah. So that's a pretty cool quote. It's kind of neat to get his take on it, you know? Yeah. You know, I didn't really have a big problem with her acting, but now whenever I watch it, I'm going to be thinking Shirley Temple in a haunted house. <laughs> <laughs> so a- thanks a lot, Richard Matheson. <laughs> well, I think her performance is a little more modern for its time than what the other two were bringing, which is a little more classic sensibility. Oh yeah. That's a good, that's a, yeah, I could see that. And so I don't think, I think it clashes. I've always kind of thought that a little bit in that segment. It's not that she's bad. It's just that she's a little different from what, you know, if you had somebody that was bringing a little bit more of a classic performance to that role, I think it would have settled a little smoother, smoother, you know, that, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. That totally get it. Hmm. Well, it's, it's a cool, short little story overall. I do like the special effects that you get in it. The, the way the, the mother looks uh, while she's laying there in her deathbed. It's a unique look. It's not just your typical desiccated corpse. We're spoiling mm-hmm. things, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it looks almost fish-like the way it's kind of pulled back a little bit, which I thought was an odd choice, but still kind of cool. And, you know, this was – I talked about sort of this being a greatest hits of, of stuff. So – the way this one opens up is the exact same way that each of the movies up to this point opened up. I mean, with Usher, you, you had a man on a, on a horseback who was riding through a fog-shrouded countryside to get to this gothic mansion, and it the story ends in a fiery blaze. In, in The Pit and the Pendulum, it once again opens with a guy in a horse-drawn carriage. He's, he's going through a gloomy, fog-ridden uh, environment to get to a, this, this uh, castle. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then in Tales, it opens up with her once again, a horse-drawn carriage, going through thick fog to approach this, you know, this, this gloomy mansion. And it also uh, ends in fire. So, you know, I mean, it definitely was pulling the same elements. Once again, it worked. If this works, let's, I don't know if I could, let's just watch it again. Nobody was watching these back to back back then, you know, right. you had a year between them. So people, nobody will remember it. As a matter of fact, they used the exact same fire footage in this that they had used in the, in the previous ones. Corman had burnt this barn down and shot, footage of this burning barn and he just used it over and over in these films which you know is a tradition that's 
carried on by many, many low-budget independent filmmakers. Even to this day, Lloyd Kaufman always includes that shot of the car crashing from <laughs> Kabuki Man. Oh, yeah. You know, and everything. So, I, I lots of respect, man, for doing that. That's that's what you got to do. I thought some of the... Well, Corman was the classic oh, yeah. at doing that. I mean, like in, I guess it was Pit and the Pendulum, when uh, you see him, no, no, it's the first one. It's the Usher. He's riding his horse through this this uh, background and you see all these trees that are burned down. It's all smoky. Well, there had been a forest fire in California that had just happened when they started shooting and Corman sent a second unit up there to go get footage of, of that. So the, the, when the guy's riding through that background to go up to the castle, that's a real burned out background. Mm-hmm. Corman just was like opportunistic. Go shoot it. Well, Let's get it. I, I remember in the, I think it was the early nineties. There was that big earthquake in LA. Yeah, he did the same thing. Uh, it made the, the news that he was sending as soon as it was safe. He was sending crews out to go shoot footage of just the disaster of L.A. He was going to use in later productions. I don't know if it ever turned up anywhere in any films, but you know, when the opportunity yeah. presents itself, you get out there and you shoot, and you, yeah. and you get what oh. you can. You know, I just read Corman's autobiography, and this guy was such a mover and shaker. I mean, he was. It's amazing how he could work a deal and how he, he rose from the ranks of being a script reader and a messenger boy to directing feature films. But he just had the knack for pulling this stuff off, you know? Was this the uh, How I Made 100 Movies in Hollywood and Never Lost a Dime? Yes, yeah. and it's a great read for anybody that had, if you're interested at all in Roger Corman and he talks about these movies and, and making them in there also. It's great book yeah great book. i have read it a couple of times myself it definitely has the monster kid radio seal of approval highly recommended uh should definitely give it a read because it what roger corman did i mean is amazing and that he's still doing it i mean he's still active maybe not as much but i mean he's still active and he's still doing his thing he, and the cover of the book has a shot of price in this film from the third segment which we'll get to eventually but th- this short piece, Morella, it's a very short piece. It's something that could be adapted as a stage play. Like I said, there's only three people in it, with the exception of maybe setting things on fire. It could probably be done pretty easily. But as simple and as light as the story kind of sort of is, Price gives it so much importance and weight. And you feel for this guy. He plays his husband who lost his wife, his daughter's estranged, and he's kind of locked himself away from the world, and he is just so good at it. Mm-hmm. He plays the alcoholic, sort of like he did in Dragon Wick, who, where he was alcoholic, drug addict, and that holed up in the in the attic of the old gothic mansion. It's very much like that mm-hmm. here, kind of like in, in some of the other of these films, too, where, you know, uh, the estranged daughter, she she does show back up. Her mother died during get, shortly after childbirth, so she sort of blamed, or she did blame Lenora, her daughter, for for um, killing her, as she tells her husband. And 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 Price, his character is just called Locke. He doesn't really have a name in this, but Price sort of blamed her too until she came back and sort of warm, he warmed up to her, and then the two sort of reconcile until the supernatural steps in at the end. Mm. which I love. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> which is something that you kind of see with some of the post stuff. It starts, you know, it's just kind of a mundane, well, I don't use that term despairingly, but, you know, a, a mundane kind of story. And then there's that supernatural twist at the end, and it's great. 
Mm-hmm. It's so good. Poe, I feel like, is somebody that I need to know more about. I mean, I've read his work. I know not all of it. I know a lot about him. And I know for years there was always a uh, a Poe adaptation included in the lineup at the Lovecraft Film Festival. So I always got to see some Poe. But I, 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 outside of The Raven and a few others, I just don't know that much about all of his stuff. It sounds like I need to go back and read some more of it because, man, I really liked this segment. I did not have a problem with the girl at all. Yeah, no, I think it's a nice adaptation uh, for for screen. I think it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. And Price is playing it straight in this one, and it's good. I like it. He plays it straight in this one, but he sure changes it up for the next segment. <laughs> yes, he does. And and it's my favorite, uh, the Black Cat. You know, all three of these stories, when you think about them, they're sort of all of them are love triangles, in one form or another. You're, you're absolutely first story, right. You're right. Yeah, first story you got the daughter and wife in the love triangle with the husband. Mm-hmm. And then in this one, you've got Price and Lori and, and Lori's wife. And the third one, it's there's sort of a, a love triangle where there is a love triangle between between three of the characters in it, too. Yeah. This this one, oh, boy. <laughs> I love it so much, though, too. I, and, and is Pete Lori not fantastic? <laughs> he is so great. He is so good. Uh, so there are these icons of horror, you know, Karloff, Lugosi, Price, Cheney, and all them. Peter Lori is the one that I haven't watched nearly as much of as, as some of the others. And I really need to. I loved him in this. Oh, my God. Oh, so good. So he good. plays this drunk named Montresor Herringbone. And of course the name Montresor comes from the Casca Montiato. Mm-hmm. Uh he he's just a, a just a a complete drunk. There's no redeeming qualities about him. He he badgers his wife and pretty much pretty much abuses her to get her money so he can spend it out drinking. She squirrels it away in the house in different places, hiding it from him so he won't so they can eat and survive, but he wants to drink it all away. And uh of course it opens with him in a bar drinking and, and Shortly thereafter, he gets kicked out of a bar, and on his way, stumbling down the street, there's this nice, long, panning shot, single shot of him going down the street and approaching different strangers, asking for money, and they're like, ah, sober up, get away from me, sleep it off. I want money. (laughs) I love it. It's so good. And uh, then he he stumbles into a wine tasting convention. There's a wine tasters convention. He's like, whoa, what's this? He walks inside and, oh, this is like heaven for him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, there we meet Price. It's just so – he's so over the top. And I don't think Price got enough credit or gets enough credit for the, the comedy that he could bring to the table because he – He's playing it up for laughs here, and he's so hamming it up. But it's so good. It's not out of character for this guy to be so pretentious and so oh, – he's just great. The, the wine-tasting sequence, the faces that he makes. <laughs> oh, yes, the expressions and mannerisms. He's so so kind of uh, foppish and uh, over-the-top, kind of, you know, bug eyes and – Sir, you know, kind of, it's it's great. Yeah, he is so good. So I saw a quote from from Price recently. We were talking about they brought a real wine taster in to show him how it's done. And of course, he added to it and exaggerated it to the hilt and beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all the the sniffing of the wine and sipping it, she's going to his mouth and <laughs> inhaling afterwards. All of that is is sort of very exaggerated versions of the way you really do it. But of course, Lori, who challenges him. Montresor to a uh, drinking contest. He says, I can taste wine as good as any man, you know, 
Uh, he just fills up an entire glass and chugs it. <laughs> they go back and forth the, drinking the, the wine. The look on it, Vincent Price's face when he's doing it, too. I mean, that's what sells it. I mean, it's a little ridiculous, the stuff, but it's fun. But the look on his face that, oh, <laughs> Lori just chugs the wine. When he first turns around and sees Lori and Lori <laughs> insults him, oh. that look on his face is, is priceless. <laughs> No pun intended. You, huh? sir, I pose there. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's so good, though. Uh, you know, this story, uh, they eventually, you think, develop a friendship. But not really. Nah. It's, no. yeah, Lori's got something up his sleeve. Right. Well. Kind of. Price helps him home after the after the drinking contest because Lori just passes out in the middle of it. And he takes him home and meets his wife, who is the, the beautiful Joyce Jameson, who's Name's Annabelle in this, and the two of them immediately fall for each other. Another Poe connection. You know, right. Annabelle is the name that he, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the two of them start having an affair behind Montresor's back, who suddenly has no problem getting money from his wife. And as a matter of fact, it made me think about how, when you think about it, the bartender is the pivotal character in this story. He is the catalyst okay. for everything that happens. He kicks Lori out of the bar at the beginning of the story, and that's when he finds the wine tasters convention. He's the one that plants the idea in Lori's mind that, now, you said that your wife suddenly started giving you lots of money. Now, when did that happen? Was that right after you introduced her to another man? And he's the one that calls the police on Montresor. And at the end of the story, which, of course— makes them because he overhears him saying she's not going to need her money where she's at now. So yeah, it's all his fault. It's all the bar. It's all the bartender, man. So listeners, children don't drink basically is what's going <laughs> to stay away from alcohol because don't tell your bartender too much. Well, there you go. Maybe that's better. Maybe that's better. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. You're absolutely right. He's kind of like the instigator of all of this. Yeah. It's I mean, okay. Well, Peter Laurie probably shouldn't have tried to, bury them alive in the wall but still but, you know oh reasonable <laughs> reasonable action company man uh, so anyway he, he, yeah. the bartender tips him i was like yeah so you suddenly started getting money from her huh yeah and when did that happen right after you introduced her to this other guy yeah and so Lori figures it out and catches price leaving his house so he uh confronts annabelle about it and winds up killing her but yeah he he uh he plans a fitting revenge for the two of them you know, we've talked about the cask of Amontillado quite a bit, and and that's pretty much where this is happening, is or where this is leading. That he's going to brick him up in a wall. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the black cat connection as well. There's this cat involved as well, which this is the film where they were like auditioning black cats for, right? They made like a big publicity thing out of it. Yeah, yeah. They, there's those pictures of these people on the sidewalk with cats on leashes. You know, how would your cats react on a leash? I don't know. I think Wednesday, oh, she's been wearing a collar lately, uh, and she seems to be okay with it. I wonder how she'd do with a leash. Smoke, not a chance. And Sam, I don't know. Yeah. Previous cats that we've had, we tried to put on leashes because we thought, hey, let's walk our cat. Because <laughs> we were those people. And uh, it didn't work out very well at all. So <laughs> it's I've read that none of those cats were the lead cat, that they had a real cat actor, but they used all of them in others, like like as stunt cats. Like you need a cutaway of a cat or something. 
<laughs> so they, they had a train cat, like the one that's on the ledge that walks along the ledge and jumps inside the 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 room at the when you when you first pans from the the sign at the very beginning of the story and you see the cat on the ledge and he goes that was probably a train cat of course yeah but yeah. then they like when Lori picks the cat out and throws it that's probably a stunt cat I would hope so I mean I, I mean hope. it was probably not the stunt cat it was probably like one of these extras they probably were like eh. but you know here's something else that that's kind of curious when you talking about the cats. Right after this movie, they made the Comedy of Terrors in 63. This was made in 62. It also had all three of these same characters. It had Joyce Jameson, Peter Lorre, Vincent Price, along with Boris Karloff. Another comedy. So you hear a lot about how this movie led right into The Raven. But it also led into Comedy of Terrors with the same creative team. That had a, a cat very front and center. That cat's name was Orangey. Orangey the Cat. Orangey. Orangey. He is an orange cat, obviously. And he played a cat named Rhubarb. I was just looking on Wikipedia this week, and someone had erringly credited the cat in this movie, in Tales of Terror, as Orangey the Cat, playing the cat in this movie. That was not Orangey. Orangey was a famous cat. As a matter of fact, there's an award called the Patsy Award. Have uh-huh. you heard of this? No. So it's an award for animals. It was uh, an award that was started, I don't want to say, like late 30s, 39 or so. And there was a horse that was killed during a Tyrone Power movie, oh. uh, I think Jesse James. And so they made this award after that, and they give it to animals that do uh, award-winning performances in films. And Orangey is a two-time winner of the Patsy. It stands for, like, Pitcher Animal Top Star of the Year, I think. And Orangey's <laughs> a two-time winner of the Patsy Award. Well, there you go. But it was not orangey in this film. No, no. Um, of the three segments, Wednesday was most interested in this one, partly because of all the cat sounds. Yeah. Uh, she actually sits out here. She watches television. She, I, I've never had a cat that watches TV as much as Wednesday does. I mean, sometimes you know something will catch all the cat's attention, but she will focus on the screen, and she was just glued to this segment. Hmm. Even before the cat showed up, I think she started watching, which was kind of odd. I thought I was like, "Well, that's she just likes Peter Lorre, I guess. So she's got good taste." But yeah, you know, Orangey <laughs> was in the Incredible Shrinking Man. That's the cat. Oh, in that okay, okay, yeah. very okay. famous, very famous. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, I don't know anything about her. It sounds like I, I need to uh, learn more. At least for nothing else, I need to get some movies for Wednesday to watch when I'm not at home. You know. Yep. Look into the some- Patsy Awards. You can we'll find do. out. <laughs> Who some of the winners were all kinds of animals. Uh, I, I think the uh, the monkey that played Cheetah in, in Tarzan won one at one point. That is Damn awesome. It, Cheetah needed a, a an award. That that monkey was awesome. <laughs> awesome. Didn't think you'd be talking about Cheetah today, did you? Yeah, I was like, welcome to Monster Animal Radio with Doctor Gangry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like this segment. This is my favorite segment of the three in Tales of Terror. I, I love uh, the source material they, they pulled from, and I love the performances of the two male leads. So good. So yeah. good. Yeah. And it's um, the music's great in this. It's fun oh, and playful yes. and fits the action so well. I mean, it's it's got it all. There, there's nothing in this movie that, or this segment that I dislike. Oh, and I here's mean, a cool little little tidbit yeah. that I discovered when I was looking through facts about this. And then what? So the two, so the two policemen that come in at the end and they discover the bodies behind the the brick wall. One of those guys uh, is a guy named Lynn Lenny Weinrib. He's a really well known voice actor 
did the voice of H.R. Puffin stuff and uh, Scrappy-Doo, um, Gomez in the Adams Family cartoon. That guy, he wound up going on having a really successful voice acting career. Wow. It was pretty well, cool. That's cool. Yeah. Hmm. I, I do like the bit. When, I like when the cops show up and they're <laughs> asking, what's behind that wall? Oh, nothing, nothing. Yeah, oh, well, he, he so sort of is like, this is so well constructed, you know, and that's that's all straight from Casco Montiato. And, yeah. And he started banging on the wall. And, uh, of course, the cat's <laughs> walled up in there, too, which is great. <laughs> Such a great bit. I love it. I love it. I now, think it's really, I think it's really creative the way that Matheson mashed the stories together. They flow together so seamlessly. Mm-hmm. You know, it. I'm sort of here to redeem this movie because it caught a lot of shit from the critic critics when it was first released. But I think the sense of humor is the thing that people complained about. The critics did not like, but I think it is absolutely a spot on. And I think it, the putting these two stories together was kind of brilliant. Yeah, I thought so too. I didn't have any problem with it at all. I thought it, it was a perfect blend. And I feel like this entire film is constructed really, really well. We have the the one story that's kind of a small horror piece about this family. And then you get into this comedy piece that's over the top. And then you get into this piece that's really kind of despicable and, and awful, what, what these people are doing. And I love it. I love the mix. Mm-hmm. I think they did a really good job of kind of picking the order of the stories. Uh, the third segment, The Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar, which is another story that I really like and I've seen adapted a few times over the years, including once by Romero. George Romero adapted this in the his segment in Two Evil Eyes. Yeah, uh, I, I really enjoy this story. And again, Price is really good. But you also got Basil Rathbone, who is just despicable isn't he great in that oh he's awesome he's fantastic but he's a creep and the way he stares at deborah paget every time she walks away yeah oh god yes and and basil he's another one that pops up in comedy of terrors they really took this team and and re brought them back together once again for for comedy of terrors um Mm -hmm. but yeah he's so good in it and that's what I love about this movie. You get Lori, you get Price, you get Basil Rathbone. I mean, it's you know, you get a lot for your money in this one, for sure. You really do. You really do. You get and a Deborah whole bunch. Paget, she's so great, so pretty, and and so does such a great job. All of them, really. Uh, Joyce Jameson did comedy really well. Mm-hmm. I think I think she's great once again in Comedy of Terror. She she plays the same character pretty much in both of them, but beautiful, so easy on the eyes. You know, I mean, just sure, yeah, sure. That role is just great. And she's fantastic in this and, and the way she interacts with Vincent, the way she interacts with, you know, a friend of yours, David Frankham. That's right. Who's in this third segment. Mm-hmm. And he's great. He's pulling off an American accent in this. I never knew he was British until I interviewed him and talked to him. And I, I complimented him on that. I told him, I said, I've watched Tales of Terror countless times. I can't tell you how many times I've watched it. And I never knew that you were British from watching that. He said, oh, thank you so much. That's, you know, that means so kind of you. It means so much. Yeah. But he had fond memories of doing this and said he was just in awe of Basil Rathbone that, of course, he knew who he was and just like, I can't believe, I pinch myself, I can't believe I'm acting with Basil Rathbone. To act against him in a role like this, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're against him literally in a movie like this because he's the doctor, he's the one that's you know, level-headed and, and thinks this whole mesmerism thing is useful but not real medicine and 
I, I just love it. It is so good. Mm-hmm. Really is. So good in his performances. In the story, M. Valdemar's dying and he's in a lot of pain and Basil is playing Carmichael, this mesmerist that uses mesmerism, hypnotism to deal with the pain. And they come up with this plan that at the point of his death, he's going to try to go into this mesmerized state. And the doctor is not down with that at all. And Carmichael's got his own plans anyway and what he wants to do with Valdemar's wife. And <laughs> it doesn't end well for anybody. <laughs> no, no. Including Vincent Price, who said the uh, makeup was pretty painful yeah. at the end. Yeah, they made this mixture of all this goop and dropped it on his head. And you know, they could only take it for a few minutes at a time, you know. Right. It was super, super hot. It was a mix of glue, glycerin, cornstarch, and makeup paint that was all mixed up and heated together and dumped on his head. I think it looks great. I know a lot of people say it doesn't look so good, but I think it looks awesome. It's a really neat, like, melting man effect. Yeah. Matheson may not have liked it, but I I disagree with him. I think think it's pretty cool. And Mm -hmm. nobody did the dreamy kind of distorted lenses and effects better than these Poe films whenever they would have a dream sequence when I think of a dream sequence in a film so I was making a short film with my buddy Cameron recently we were talking about dream sequences I said well if you want to look at good good dream sequences look at all those Corman Poe films because dream sequences and all of those are so good and they use some sort of some of that effect on during this where they're kind of have some of those distorted lenses when they're shooting the the effect of the makeup coming down Vincent's face you know Mm mm-hmm it's just really, really good stuff. Yeah. And you see a lot of that, the distorted lenses uh, being used in the previous segment in the black cat, but that's more of a drunken revelry kind of effect. Right, but it, it does. It, but it you works. You see it kind of swirling. This, the, yeah, it's from Lori's point of view as he's drinking. And yeah, I mean, they, they use that very much. The cinematographer, Lori Crosby, used that very much to, to good effect in these films. Mm-hmm. It's, there's there's mm-hmm. nothing about this movie that I don't like. I really no. enjoy this. I, I know that we've already done the top 20 Vincent Price films here on Monster Kid Radio when we announced those on at Monster Batch. But if I was doing it again today, this would be at the very top of my list because there is just so much in this movie that I love. Really, all the Poe stuff for Corman was groundbreaking for his career. I mean, I think it sort of brought a level of admiration for him because he had done all these low-budget movies, these short, quick shoots and everything. But this... This time he said he he told Nicholson in Arkov he's like you know I don't want to do another cheapy I want to double the budget and spend some time and really do something that that I can be you know be, let's let's just do a color movie and do it right and so they did with Usher and it was such a hit it just rolled you know onto all these other Poe films mm-hmm. so the the order goes House of Usher Pit in the Pendulum Premature Burial Tales of Terror The Raven The Haunted Palace. The Mask of the Red Death and Tomb of Lygia. And I think we've talked, you and I have talked about Haunted Palace on the show before, that it's it's not really Poe. <laughs> as much yeah. as they want us to believe it's Poe, it's really not. Uh, it's, it's a Lovecraft piece that nobody knew who Lovecraft was, so let's give it a, another name. I told Victoria Price at Monster Bash that you put Vincent Price in a suit and I'm halfway there already, just because the man looked good in a suit. But... I would also add, you put Vincent Price in a, a gothic setting, and I'm already there. Because that man looked, mm-hmm. man, he just, you dress him up in that and put him in a set like that. You light him like that. 
Yeah. This is Price and his, his A game. Yeah, I agree. Man. Uh, and just the way he acts here, there, there's a little bit of, I see a little bit of maybe what he would do later in Dr. Fibes and his performance of Valdemar. Just just a little bit at the very end of the piece. Yeah. But it's its own thing. I mean, he makes all three characters in this film distinctly different. You can't get away from the voice, but that's what we love about him, right? But the characterizations, the right. way he acts, the way he moves, the way he uses his eyes in the first segment, he looks so sullen and, and distant and like he's not even halfway here in, in this world in the first piece until later on uh, as, as you learn a little bit more about what's going on in the story. He's just solid. I mean, this is really a showcase for, for Price as much as it is for Poe. It is. And as I mentioned earlier, the critics weren't kind to it when it came out. I, I found a New York Times article from 1962, and uh, this guy said, Don't, all caps, don't let the ads and marquees fool you about yesterday's new double bill from AIP. It was on a double bill with uh, Panic uh, in the Year. What was it, Panic in the Year Zero? Yeah, which is an, a, a great Ray Milan picture. Ray Milan. Once again, another Corman picture with Ray Milan. He was a big Ray Milan fan. Uh, Love X, the man with the X-ray eyes. That's another yes. fantastic. Mm-hmm. But um, so don't let the marquees fool you about yesterday's new double bill from AIP from American International at neighborhood theaters. The top billing goes to Tales of Terror, a dull, absurd, and trashy adaptation of three Edgar Allan Poe stories broadly draped around the shoulders of such people as Vincent Price, Peter Lorre, and Basil Rathbone, who at least bothers to act. That is awful. Skip it. Yeah. No, that's that's ridiculous. That yeah. movie is really, really good. Yeah. No, I think time has proven that guy to be completely off mark, as critics are so often. You know, I think it's people like this that I think inspired Vincent's performance in Theater of Blood years later, which is totally about him taking revenge on critics. Yeah. I think he was probably channeling some of the reviews like this one. Yeah, that would make sense. That would make a lot of sense because... Which is probably my all-time favorite Vincent Price movie, by the way. <laughs> um, although, Ask Me Tomorrow, it may be something different. But yeah, Theater of Blood, I just go back to it. It's so good. It's a solid film, man. It is, it's it is. really but so good. so is this one. And this is good. And I have to say, I'm so proud of my son, Luke. I remember one time I was out. I, don't know, I think I was at a club. I don't know if... If I was seeing a band or I was in a band at that time, if we were playing. Anyway, I was out at a club. I remember coming back in late at night and finding Luke sitting alone in the living room watching this movie on Turner Classic Movies. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I sat down beside him to watch it with him. See, that, you're doing it right, though. You're doing the monster kid dad thing right, man. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> well done. And that was all on his own. He found it and it's like, I'm watch this. I know I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch this movie again. Uh, I, I think it's something that I could probably even put in for like a Halloween movie marathon. That's what I was thinking. Halloween time would be a good time to do it. Yeah. 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 Have you ever had a chance to, to host any of the Poe Corman films? No, I would love to, though. I, I did not. The closest thing I ever came, and it's not even close, really, but was uh, The House That Drip Blood. Mm-hmm. I got to host that. The station. I, it's funny. I had asked him to get that movie. I know I told the story on here before. And I, I specifically requested if you get a chance to get House of Drip Blood, I want. I would love to host that. And they did. So that's probably about the closest. Well, I, I recommend this movie. Larry recommends this movie. There's really nothing you can, nothing more you can say. It, it's one of the best. It's one of my favorite Vincent Price films. Uh, highly recommended. Uh, like I said, it's available on Blu-ray overseas. I know it's available here in various formats as well. You will not be disappointed if you haven't seen the movie yet. And even if you have, watch it again because it's solid. Now, you talked earlier to me about uh, like a comic book and a novelization. 
Yeah, they did both for it. Which blows my mind that a novelization was done of a film based on a collection of short stories and poems. Why didn't they just release the poetry and poems and short stories? Because it gave them new product to sell. That's that's true. That's true. Now, did you get your hands on or were you able to read the comic? Uh, it's online. You can read it online. Okay. I, I know that you said something about maybe trying to read it or whatever. I didn't know if you had a chance to look at it yet. I haven't yet, but I, I will. I'm, I plan to because I, I did see that someone had uploaded it. So it's pretty cool. I'll have to check that out myself, uh, you know, because I don't have enough to, to read or consume. That's right. You know. That's right. <laughs> One more thing to add to the stuff. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, you got to read that William Castle biography first because that is autobiography because that's fantastic. That, and I don't know. Did we talk about that in this record? No, that was something we talked about before we started recording. We talked about off mic, yeah. but it's, that's a really good one. The Corman autobiography, highly recommended. I, also, I read that and I turned right around and read the William Castle one right behind it. So, both of those guys are super inspirational. Well, speaking of William Castle, he's one of the, the heroes of, of horror. Is it fair to say, can we say that you're going to be talking about William Castle in the future on your YouTube channel? Absolutely. Absolutely will be. So I'm sort of looking at it like this new series I'm doing, Heroes of Horrorwood, is sort of like, I guess, a, a Dr. Gang Green um, Hall of Fame, sort of. It's just people that I really, really like, my favorite creators, and I just want to spend a little time talking about them. So far, as of this recording, uh, you've only got the one uh, hero that you've done so far. You're doing a different hero of Horrorwood every month. This month is Roger Corman. By the time this episode yep. goes out, we'll be into the second month. Can you say what the second month is going to be, or do we want to leave it as a surprise? I'll just keep it as a surprise. I'll probably wait and skip a month. Uh, I won't do one every month. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah. And I know I've got Halloween coming up after. I may squeeze one in before then, though. Okay. But I kind of keep it a secret. Okay. Well, I know what it is. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> and if you join my Patreon page, I'll tell you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, of course, to you. I'll start a Patreon, and for everybody who gives me a thousand bucks a month, I'll let them know what it's going to happen. Oh, okay. Is that how it works? <laughs> okay. that, 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 that's the reasonable, right? Sure. <laughs> I haven't done the Patreon yet, but I, I may at some point. I, I did. I did join it the other day. Well, I will make sure there's a link in the show notes to this, uh, to your YouTube channel and your and your website as well. I mean, everything that you're doing, you, you put it all online. You're about to get into the very busy time of year for you with September and especially October. Yeah. Lots of stuff coming up, and I'll make sure people can find you at drgangreen.com. Yes. One of the things I'm doing is a um, hosting at a drive-in. This is the third year. Uh, they call it the Creepy Cruise-In, and it's in Georgetown, Indiana at the Georgetown Drive-In, and I'll be hosting Race with the Devil, the Peter Fonda movie, which should be a lot of fun to show. They like to show creepy car movies, so last year we, yeah. we showed The Car. When does that happen? That happens end of September. I can't remember the 20-something, I think, but it's that weekend. Okay. Yeah. Listeners, if you're in the area, you got to check it out. Right. you got to support the multi-rondo award-winning physician of fright, Dr. Gang Green. And a chance to... Go to the drive-in, which is always fun. I love the drive-in. Listen to you, listen to you downplay, <laughs> you know, you well, yeah. being there. Come on. I mean, get to see some cool movies, right. go to a drive-in, hang out with the doc. Come on. Should be a great night. Should really be a fun time. You know, if I was anywhere near there, you know, I'd be showing Oh, absolutely. Up. I know you would. And it's, we're going to, we'll give something fun away and have some contests and things going on there. Last year, we gave away a real cold, dead body. And the year, which was, of course, frozen turkey. And the year before that, uh, we gave away an actual car. There was no engine in it, but it was a car. We gave away a car. 
you know what they're giving away this year? Uh, I'm not sure yet. Okay. I'm looking into a couple of things. So it depends on what he's able to find, but not sure what we're doing yet. Well, I wish you the best, man. I, I enjoy what you do. You know, I'm a fan. I'm a friend, but I'm also a fan. I really enjoy everything that you put out. Uh, definitely. Thanks, man. Supporting Dr. Gang Green is one of the things that I love to do. One of my favorite horror hosts. Definitely worthy of all the awards and then some. And I appreciate you spending some time with me on Monster Kid Radio during Edgar August Poe. Awesome, man. Thanks. And thanks for letting me talk about Tales of Terror or Terror as a guy at the drive-in. So he used to have it called it the drive-in of Terror every uh, every Halloween. He would show a marathon. Like, Welcome to the drive-in of Terror. So Tales of Terror. Okay. Tales of Terror. <laughs> Check it out. Sounds good. Thanks again, man. Thanks you. Thank you, man. Larry, thank you for being part of the show once again. I love having you on the show, man. We got to have you back on the show more often. I know there's time zones and you're busy and I'm busy. Well, not as busy anymore, but you know, we're just, we got to make time for it. I enjoy having you on the show. You're a great friend. You've been a great supporter of Monster Kid Radio, and I hope to throw a little bit of support your way. So listeners, please check out drgangreen.com to see what he's up to. Uh, that's Dr. D-R. It's not necessarily spelled out. So just go to dr and then gangreen.com or follow the link in the show notes to see what's going on with him. And then look him up on YouTube as well to check out the Heroes of Horror YouTube series. If you haven't caught up with it, check out his fantastic films of Vincent Price YouTube series. You know, just check out all of his YouTube videos. They're all good. He brings a level of production that, well, I aspire to with my own YouTube projects. Larry's the man, so check that out. And he mentioned he's going to be hosting at the Georgetown Drive-In. Now, I went to their website, georgetowndrivein.com, and there's nothing on there yet about the cruise in that he's going to be hosting but head over there, check it out, maybe sign up for their email list so you can be updated and informed about what's going on at the Georgetown Drive-In. It's in Georgetown, Indiana. And of course, if you do go, let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Thanks again, Larry. I will take you to a place where my friends foregather. There you will find stories of such blood-curdling terror it will make your toes curl and your hair reach up towards the sky. He likes to take you by surprise. He likes to leave a very special calling card. It was the best blood I have ever tasted. He's giving you a very special invitation. Three stories to shock you. Chill you, thrill you, and make you laugh. Everybody knows about garlic and steaks through the heart. Yes, we all have our cross to bear. I'm just a sucker, boy. one of his kind now. You have to be safe by your own men. Songs by B.A. Robertson. Don't you look down on me.
night. The pretty things. The viewers. Tell me you're not going to let you go until you do. We must have our food. But remember, he likes to take you by surprise. You've been invited to the Monster Club. Come at your peril. Hello everyone, I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are your hosts for NashyCast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashy. We, for over five years, have brought you the joys of Spanish cinema, filtered through our brains to you. Yes, now what is it that qualifies two southern boys to talk about films that came out of Spain, and I can't think of a single thing. There's nothing that qualifies. Nothing. nothing. Except that we just love, love them, love them, love them. We love them. Nashi Cast yeah. covers the films of Paul Nashi and any other Spanish horror film that we can pretend we know something about. <laughs> yes. If you love beautiful women wearing incredibly short miniskirts in subarctic temperatures, <laughs> chased by werewolves in leisure suits. If you love werewolves, vampires, unidentifiable beasts, or crazy people driving women around and talking like a maniac. <laughs> yes, flying cats, beheadings with axes. <laughs> Blood that looks like Sham- melted crayons. Shambling zombies, yeah. Some of the films that we've covered in the past are Mark of the Werewolf. Howl of the Devil. Vengeance of the Zombies. Horror Rises from the Tomb. Tombs of the Blind Dead. Vampire's Night Orgy. Ooh, Yes. Join us on this journey through the golden age of Spanish horror where Paul Nashi, Leon Klamowski, Jess Franco, Amando Diasorio take us through a filter Espanol. Join us for the Nashi cast. It's coming. The world's craziest fun and fright show, The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monster. It's so scary, so crazy, we dare you to see it. We dare you to see The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters. The screen's funniest and wildest teenagers in the craziest fun and fright show you've ever seen. Weird and frightening movie monsters. Not only on the screen, but in the audience, alive and in person. See the horrifying mad mummy come to life and go into the audience to get you. We warn you, don't come if you're chicken. This show is not for sissies. If you're not afraid, be sure to see the world's craziest fun and fright show, The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monster. A thousand and one laughs, thrills, and chills. In widescreen and Eastman color. Knock out some feedback. We got Brenda back on the show. Hello. Let's see. Don't think you were. It wasn't last week. Were you on the week before? Well, I did the monster vault. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) You sound so dismissive. Well, no, no. I don't remember. My weeks, my days are just blurring in together. Wait. Did you put the monster vaults in? Oh, the monster vault. What did you think I I was saying? We are halfway across the house from each other. What did you think I I was saying? I did put the two monster vaults in for the past two weeks. What I'm saying is I don't remember if you did feedback two weeks ago. No. No, it's been a while. So we have some catch up, some catching up to do. Yes, but it is not 90 some odd, 98 degrees. Which is the reason why we didn't have feedback the past two weeks. It was so bad. It was insane. Yeah, it's, it's less than 90 right now, and we thought maybe we'd knock this out. Yes. Try to get through, let's see, we've got like five or six messages that have been building up. Okay. And I think I got them all. If you don't hear yours, 
it's because I screwed up my email box. It's nothing about you. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> it's so. not you. It's me. <laughs> okay. Ready? Yeah. Let's do this. I was born ready. Okay. My middle name is ready. Not really, but okay. No, not really. My middle initial is M. So unless you're spelling ready like the Russian way or something. Really? <laughs> or <I'm> ready. <laughs> um, ready. Yeah, that's more like me. <laughs> that's more like me. <laughs> Hi, Derek. Hi. What a pleasure it is to listen to your podcast. What a pleasure it is to be heard. <laughs> a few months back, I had the chance to talk to Ron Adams during Amazicon. Amazicon. Yep. Amazicon in Delaware. He gave me a lot of great suggestions on how I can hopefully make the trek to the bash someday. Yes. But until that day comes, podcasts number 376 and 377 are the next best thing. Oh, thanks, man. Looking forward to delving into the Monster Kid Radio archives. Part of the tribe, Tom H. I had a lot of fun putting those two Monster Bash episodes together and... If you enjoyed those, man, that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what Monster Bash is. Ron, and, and I actually emailed this guy back because he had asked me about the Classic 5 deck. Uh, and I told him in the email, Ron is the hardest working monster kid I know. He puts together the most amazing convention. Monster Bash is tops, man. Tops. And he hits up all these other cons, too, promoting. Uh, just this past weekend, he was at Pulp Fest. Don't you have older episodes covering the bash as well? So if you go back into the archives, and it sounds like he is, you'll find some uh, coverage from last year's bash as well as the first time that we went several years back. As you go further back into the archives, the equipment issues start to pop up. There was a good run where I was having computer problems. So you might hear some less than stellar technical stuff happening, but the content's solid because I've always had solid guests and people on the show and you guys and gals make the right. show awesome. Right. Well, maybe if you have the time, you could put what number episodes those are in the notes. I should do that. Yes, you should. I should do that. <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Derek, I hope this finds you and yours in the best of health and spirits. I'm a fairly new listener of the show. Thank you for all you do. I have sadly not been able to attend the last few Monster Bashes, and your coverage makes me feel both like I was there and wish I had been. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm behind on the podcast, I don't know if you've found work yet. I hope you have, and that you're keeping the Bill Beast at bay. Best, Robin X. Roman? There's an apostrophe over it, I don't know. If that how that makes it pronounced different. But what does the X stand for? The X stands for make mine MKR. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. So job. Yeah, I don't have one. No. And um, you're trying to make a run at doing audio editing and making that work because you're so passionate about it. I'm passionate about it and I've had people tell me I'm good at it. So I'm I'm trying real hard to find some work in that field. I have been doing some work for uh, the Lovecraft Historical Society. They've got an upcoming audio book, and I've been lucky enough to edit four of the short stories that will be in that collection. They do the narration, send me the file, and I edit it. Mm -hmm. That's been awesome. 
And I loved doing it. And if I could find more work doing that, that would be amazing. I know that there are some writers and creative types in the MKR audience. If any of you know how to get in with Audible, the audiobook service that Amazon offers, I would love to edit your stuff, man. Or or if you know who I can talk to about pitching, just editing their work, not recording it, not producing the whole thing, but just editing the work. I'm all in. I work fast and cheap. So we had just talked earlier today, you're on a couple of websites where you have a profile and you've bid for some jobs. And have you considered doing it for free just to get some references on there? Well, you you mentioned that earlier to me today, and it's been kind of bubbling around in my head. So I'm over at the website Upwork, and I've got a portfolio online there. And the way that website works is people will post the jobs that they're looking for. Usually it's technical stuff remote work, contracting, freelancing, that sort of thing. And I've been pitching proposals to people that are saying, I want my podcast edited. I need this audio here or whatever. I hadn't considered saying, hey, I'll just do it for free so I can have some portfolio work. Because really, my portfolio work right now, I don't want to say this to make it sound like I don't think it's important, but it's just the podcast. Oh, yeah, because the Lovecraft stuff isn't out. Right. And I... I don't think they'd be comfortable with me just <laughs> dumping it out there. So I, I just have the podcast stuff. Now, the portfolio pieces that I've uploaded, I feel like are pretty good. I actually included one of the Monster Vault pieces that you did so that I can demonstrate that I can edit and mix together sound and audio and music and all, you know, and special effects and all that. And then a recording that I did with somebody over Skype through my Skype and their telephone, mm-hmm. just so people can kind of get a feel for what I can do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, we'll see if anybody's got any ideas or leads, man. I'm, I'm looking and uh, the Bill Beast is coming closer and closer because we're having issues with the unemployment. So we're actually thinking of cashing out some of your retirement, which is so frustrating because 40% of that goes back to various governmental entities because you cash out early. And with everything that's happening, I've got medical stuff coming up next month that I actually, by the time people hear this, it'll be this month. I got a surgery scheduled middle of August. And because I don't have insurance through my old job anymore, since I've been separated, to keep the momentum going and the surgeon that I'm working with, who I kind of like, despite the fact he's going to open up my nose like the hood of a car, which is how he put it. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I I don't really want to start over. I mean, that, that's kind of where you're at, right? Right. right. Um, I have insurance, but even though I work for a health plan, it's not great insurance. It's very restrictive. It's very hard to get prior auths and the surgery you're having includes uh, something that's pretty rare. What do they call it? It's not a flap. I have a collapsing nasal valve. Right. Or, or not just one. I have two. Right. I have two nasal holes. So my fear is that. <laughs> I'm glad I clarified that in case people were wondering about how my nose works. <laughs> I have two nasal holes, no, nostrils. Just. Yeah. Yes. Out. Yes. And my. Cons- <laughs> what is wrong with this? Is why I'm a good podcaster. This is why. Yeah. Hire this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my concern is that most likely my insurance won't cover that, but that will greatly increase your quality of life. So we're going to pay for Cobra mm-hmm, for that. a month. Right. So, you know, we're listing things on eBay. And one of the things we had discussed is uh, potentially me reading a story and you editing it. Right. My fear is that I'm not that great at voices. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. And the one story, the book that I'm targeting, the one that I think would be good. And, and the author in the past has told me, yes, it would be great to have Bren read it. It has a lot of Japanese names in it. Oh, no. Oh, okay. But, I mean, you've been in the room while I've watched Godzilla movies. You can probably pick that up, right? Can I just call them all Gojira? Probably not, because oh, Toho man. would come down on us. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yet something that we've talked about. So, listeners, uh, any writers out there, if you are having trouble getting your audiobook produced, I will edit the heck out of it and make it sound smooth and silky and make all the other audiobooks jealous of your book. Now, when it comes to narrating, you had said that you're concerned about the quality of our audio. Right. We that- are not soundproofed. Right. We have some background noises that I typically filter out of the podcast. I think in the feedback section, which this is no longer the feedback section, but I think in the feedback section of the show, it's okay to have, you know, the occasional, you know, maybe we'll hear a fan or a car drive by outside or something like that. But our recording setup is our dining room, which we yeah. have not used as a dining room in, I'd say, at least eight Nine years. I don't think we've ever used it as a dining room. We're not dining room people. No, we're really not. Are so. there dining room people out there? I guess if you have a family, like if you have kids. Right. I mean, we have a family, but, you know, it's the cats. They, they don't like to sit still long enough. I mean, they might jump up on the table if we try to have a family meal. And besides the smell of their cat food, just... just mm. Yeah. Anyway, I haven't found work yet. At least not steady work. Um, like I said, I did do the one gig for the Lovecraft people. And because they're busy right now with Gen Con and everything else right now, they, they aren't able to really do any more. I'm just kind of waiting for a check from them. And uh, hopefully they'll like what I did and they'll assign me more stories. Uh, even if they don't, I still want to do this kind of work. It was a lot of fun. And I got to hear some professional narrators read some pretty cool Lovecraft stories. So over and over and over again. But it was it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. Hello, Derek. Hello. I just wanted to say, first off, that I very much enjoy your podcast, which I discovered through the Rondo nominations when they were posted on the Classic Horror Film Board. Awesome. Good job. Thanks. I just listened to episode 375, in which you announced the Monster Rally nominees. Another enjoyable show. Lots of good nominations, plus a few which had me shaking my head. But what the hey difference of opinion makes the horse race i've never heard that before say that one more time because we're across difference of opinion makes the horse race oh i like it a couple of things though you mentioned that you read the novelization of writers to the stars by kurt soidmack siodmack siodmack i also read that book sometime last year and also somewhat enjoyed it but it wasn't written by kurt siodmack this Siad Mac. Mac. <laughs> we were talking about the Japanese names. <laughs> <laughs> this screenplay was by Siad Mac. Siad Mac. Can we just change his name? I'm just messing with you now. Uh, the screenplay was by Siad Mac. The cover of the paperback features Kurt's name directly under the title. But once you get past the cover and inside the book, you'll find it properly credited to Robert Smith. I have no idea who he was. And since he has such a basic name, I don't think I'll try to research him. I just thought, you know, credit where credit is due, right? 
Secondly, you mentioned several times how thin the choices for nominations were in 1934. I had to chuckle at that, thinking what you'll be faced with when you get to the sevens. There will be plenty of possibilities in 1957, but in 37 and also in 47. You will have to scrape the absolute bottom of the barrel to find even a few borderline, but not really, horror films to fill out the ballot. I could probably name a possibility or two, but not any real good appropriate choices. The eights are almost as bad. You can spend the whole time talking about Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein, I guess, but in 38 and 48, slim pickings indeed. I eagerly look forward to those nominations, if only to see what the heck you managed to come up with. Anyway, keep up the good work and I'll keep listening. Rick P., Okay, so uh, the rallies, uh, we are going to be announcing the winners of this year's rallies in September. I need to get with Steve and set up a recording time to do it. Uh, That'll be fun, and I'm eager to see what happens in 1954 because my favorite movie of all time is in there, but so is Godzilla. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, so we've got Godzilla and we've got Creature from the Black Lagoon fighting against each other. Mm. And Steve Turek and I bantered back and forth about this at Monster Bash, kind of razzing each other, and... You know, trying to discuss Godzilla is his favorite film. So we're kind of battling it out. Yes. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yes. Of course, because I'm the one that sees the results first, I could always cheat and say it's creature no matter what. But Wait, you see the results first? Because I thought Steve did the adding. Oh, no, no. That was for the uh, top 100 movies. This is the rallies. Oh, well, goodness gracious. Sorry, I messed that up. And, and different Steve. <laughs> Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So Steve Turek is Godzilla. Steve Sullivan is the rallies. Oh, okay. The most important thing here is the Kurt Seodmak. Although his name is on the cover, he only did the screenplay. And that's, yeah, that's my fault. And I think I knew that. I just had totally spaced it when I mentioned the book on the show because I was imagining the book cover. Yes. And yeah, Kurt Seodmak's name is big, bold, right? I mean, it's right there. So you would think it's written by him, but... But poor Robert Smith, yeah, Robert who Smith. nobody nobody really has a chance. I mean, he would later go on to have a career as the lead singer of The Cure, but other than that... Really? No, it's not him. Okay. It's a different Robert Smith. <laughs> I think that's his name, right? Isn't Robert Smith the guy from The Cure? I don't know, Derek. I don't know either. Maybe next week we'll be reading the correction for that. <laughs> <laughs> it does make me wonder, though, was Kurt Siodmak a big enough name in pulp literature that his name was a selling point for the book i mean it must have been see i didn't i know scott mac has a huge writing career i know him mostly as a monster movie guy i mean he did the wolfman for crying out loud and all this other stuff but i know that he wrote things like donovan's brain which has been adapted for film like three or four times now so i, I don't know I think what we need to focus on here, though, is poor Robert Smith, who didn't get on the cover, but wrote the damn book. And when you think about it, you think it's the odd Mac. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It is slightly different. Well, very different than the movie. But it's got some really cool stuff in it, too. And I remember really enjoying it. But next time I read it, I'll make sure I remember Robert Smith wrote it. Robert Smith wrote it. Yes. Keep him in your mind as you read. Oh, I'll keep him in my heart. You'll keep it wet? I'll keep him in my heart. In your heart? <laughs> I do feel bad for the guy. Right. He doesn't have the kind of name where you could then dig into this. I'm sure you could find it eventually. Sure. But, um, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Derek. Hi. 
I quite enjoyed episode 377.5. Right. So that was the episode, the special episode with Steve Turk and I going over the top 100 movies as voted upon by y'all. Okay. Uh, I did not include that in 377 because 377 was over three hours long. So he went on to say the same thing. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I quite enjoyed episode 377.5 featuring you and Steve Turek discussing the top 100 classic monster movies poll results. Just a few comments on the poll. I am the person who voted for Revenge of the Creature without voting for Creature from the Black Lagoon. (gasps) It was you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he signed his name. <laughs> Revenge has more humor, including that weird scene where the creature throws the guy on the beach and he just kind of floats for a while before hitting a tree. Yeah. <laughs> Revenge has less contentious characters. In the first movie, it seems as if Mark, David, Kay, and Lucas are always arguing. I agree. And Revenge has John Agar. No, wait, 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 wait. Did he write that like that, or did you just add the emphasis? Well, it was all capitalized, and I didn't want to yell. So instead, I sang it. I love you, honey. (laughs) I didn't want to be like, John Agar! Oh, I just blew out the audio. (laughs) Either would have been appropriate. (laughs) Bottom line is that I just find it more fun to watch. I was shocked that City of the Dead horror hotel did not make the list i wonder if people think less of it because of its public domain status if they do they need to take my advice and seek out a good copy of this movie arrow uk blu-ray or vci us dvd is it is i'm a teenage boy with a cracking voice (laughs) i'm leaving that in (laughs) it's great it is great. We're talking the public domain City of Dead Horror Hotel movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, Doug F. is going to open some minds. Oh, is that the end of the... Okay, I didn't want to yeah. cut you off. I didn't want to cut in. Well, no, it's not the end of the email. Oh, okay. Sorry. I just decided to talk about it right now. Okay. Well, that's fine. I wasn't shocked, but I was disappointed that not a single Mexican monster movie made the list. Brainiac was my choice, another fun movie. I know tallying up all that information can be quite a chore, so big thanks to Steve Turek. Although the thanks is in quotation marks. A big thanks to Steve (laughs) Turek. Yeah. I know he means. Thanks. (laughs) It's just quoting him, but You're welcome. I enjoy your show, like your enthusiasm, appreciate the fact that your episodes appear like clockwork and are well-recorded. Keep up the good work, Doug F. Uh, Mexican monster movies, there should have been more on there, but I think part of it's just a familiarity with it. We don't do a lot of Mexican... We've never oh. done a flat-out Mexican monster movie here on the show that didn't involve luchadors. Oh. Uh, and, and that's unfortunate. I need to what about, spread my wings. Yeah, what about Cinco de... Mayo. Oh, you have ruined me. No, I get it again. Lucha de Mayo. No, it's not Mayo, honey. It's not like the condiment. Well, those are all luchador movies, so is what I'm saying. Why? Because it's lucha. Well, do you want to next year do... No. Monstro de Mayo? De Mayo? (laughs) I love you for that, but no. um, I'll still do Lucha de Mayo, but uh, I do want to do some more Mexican monster movies on the show. The Brainiac's near the very top of my list. Mm. Really want to do that. And then there's another one about a witch woman I'm spacing on the title of. Yeah. And Ship of Monsters, man. Just 
that's such a crazy movie. Yeah, you should figure out when to fit that in. Or maybe you just need to have like one time a month. It's a Mexican or Russian monster movie. Or- there aren't very many. Because, I mean, think about the era we're talking about here. Yeah. Soviet films yeah. from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. There were a couple, but not nearly as much. And if they got released, they typically got snatched up by an American producer, brought them over here, shot a bunch of footage with women in bikinis, and then remade the movie, inserting the bikini shots. That's actually amazing history that would be fascinating <laughs> and i'm oversimplifying but right yeah I, I would like to get some more international stuff going here and yeah not necessarily just british because i mean i can go british and hammer and everything else or city of the dead but i do want to get some more stuff in here i've been talking with dominique yeah dominique Lamsey's about doing some japanese monster movies she's really big on japanese uh, like ghost stories and, and folklore and things like that mm-hmm. she lived in japan for a little while mm-hmm. and i would love to bring her on to talk about some of these things it right be a lot of fun to do as well but yeah, I need to get more international, man. I really do. I really want to. Do you want to take that on as a challenge once a month? You do an international monster? Uh, I don't want to commit because I don't know if I can make... But I do want to do more. I do okay. Want to do more. Okay. All right. And then as far as City of the Dead goes or Horror Hotel, Horror Hotel is the public domain title of that film. Yes. And that's how it was released here in the States. It was okay. released as City of the Dead overseas and has a little extra footage in it. Not much. Just a little bit. I love that movie. I'm... Kind of surprised, too, that it didn't make an appearance on the list. It's really solid. Christopher Lee is top-notch, and that Arrow Blu-ray that you mentioned looks really good. I love that movie so much that the first article or my first column that I wrote for Strange Aeons Magazine, which hasn't come mm-hmm. out yet, is about that film. Wow. It's really a solid movie. It's It's so good. I had a chance to introduce it at the Lovecraft Film Festival a few years back as well. So do you think people think less of movies that are in the public domain? I'm glad you said that because when you read that out loud, my brain started turning. And I wanted to address that or, or talk about it. I think sometimes there is a little bit of that. And, and I don't know if it's because they get shown a lot uh, through horror hosts and on YouTube and the accessibility of them. They're just all over. So the uniqueness of them isn't as high as, say, like, Son of Frankenstein or something like that. But I do think there is just a little bit of maybe prejudice against, maybe prejudice is too strong a word. Right. I, I think sometimes when think, people think of the uh, public domain films, I think of those 50 packs. 50 oh, movies on yeah. DVDs, so the, the picture's not the best. Or in the case of some of them, the original print doesn't exist anymore, so all you've got is a really bad VHS or a transfer somewhere. Oh, I, I do think hmm. sometimes they don't get the kind of attention that some of them deserve. I'm not saying something like Monos, The Hands of Fate is as good a film as Son of Frankenstein. But I don't know. I think sometimes public domain films don't get all the respect they need. Huh. But then well, I also know there are people who are like, it's Universal Monsters and that's it. Or it's Hammer and that's it. You know, I mean, I really feel right. like there's so much more out there. That's one of the things that I try to do here on MKR and maybe... I'm guilty of it because I don't do the Mexican monster movies. I don't, I haven't talked about city of the dead yet, even though I love that film. So I don't know. I'd be curious to hear what people think though about that. Yeah. Listeners. What do you think? Do you think that public domain films don't get viewed as highly or as respected as the studio releases, even if it's like a third tier studio or even like a a poverty row film. Although a lot of the poverty row films are in the public domain. Okay. I'd be curious to hear that, though. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. Right in. I always think positively of them because 
you talk about them so much. And just because they were made in a different time or different circumstances led them to be in uh, public domain Mm -hmm. doesn't mean they don't deserve the same consideration as movies that are harder to get a hold of. Night of the Living Dead is in the public domain. Yeah. And that's a bonafide classic. I believe it's in the Library of Congress. It's it's a solid film, but it's it's PD. And the original White Zombie, right? Yeah, the very first zombie movie. Right. You know, it's in the public domain. There, there are a handful of movies that I think sometimes do get a little extra light shown on them, even though they are in the public domain. But overall, I think, P- and maybe I'm just kind of wrong. <laughs> I don't know. But again, I'd like to hear what people think. Hi, Derek. Oh, I'm I'm just sitting here staring at you. Hi. (laughs) You're trying to trick me. I have a question for you. I might have an answer. I have started to listen to MKR from the very beginning. And as host of the Midnight Monster Movie Madness, a very early podcast caught my attention. You had filmmaker Christopher R. Mim on talking about his movies. This sounds just like the stuff I would love to show at my event. I just now sent him a message to discuss this. I'm also going to order a few of his movies to view, and this is why I'm contacting you. Can you suggest a couple of his films? I am thinking the giant spider would fit nicely with my event as I try to keep the monsters in the movies I show giant size, but going in this blind. So any input from you on this would be greatly appreciated. On a side note, sorry to hear about your job. Hope it works out in the long run for you. And please remember, there are a lot of us monster kids thinking of you and your wife. And thank you so much for doing this wonderful podcast. It really brings me a lot of joy every Thursday. Gary Johnson. Gary appeared on the show in the montage of calls that Mark Bailey sent in from G-Fest. Okay. So that's why I was okay with giving his last name. Oh, well, and he's also a host of a movie thing. Right. We just, you hesitated. I know we tried not to give out the last Yes, I did. I've had to think through um, it. Mim's movies, I'm a huge fan of. I mean, Mim's one of my closest friends, uh, but I love his movies anyway. I loved his movies first, and then I kind of came to love him. The Giant Spider, of course, is is one of my absolute favorites. And you kind of mentioned it in your message, Gary, that you you like things big. You know, Giant Spider, it's the biggest monster they've got. I'm also a big fan of Attack of the Moon Zombies. Oh, that one's a lot of fun and is is really interesting and, and kind of cool to see where some of the characters that he's played with that Mim's been developing throughout the course of several movies kind of end up. It's really neat. I really like the late night double feature as well because I love the monster design in those. Really, I love all the monsters. I love all the movies. So are there any other giant monsters? No. Oh, no, not really. Well, okay. There, there's kind of a big monster in Danny Johnson Saves the World, but it's very quick, but it's a really cool stop motion sequence. So that might be something to look at as okay, well. Okay. Okay. Chris just released uh, the image of the poster for his newest movie, Guns of the Apocalypse. Looks awesome. It's a post-apocalyptic spaghetti Midwestern. <laughs> <laughs> right up your alley. Right. 
No, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I think it'll be really neat. And I know he's also working on Queen of Snakes right now as well. And I've seen some of the prosthetics that Mitch Gonzalez has created for that, and they look awesome. I think when it comes to Mims movies, and we talked briefly about this with uh, Dr. Bob Tesla on the Monster Batch episode, where I was chatting with him and, and how he's involved with the Mimiverse. The first three or four films are a little more comedic. Mm. And then just as Mim grew as a storyteller, they get to be a little more, and I'm not saying they're like dead serious dramas. They have their comic moments. They have their jokes, but it's not just about that. Whereas sometimes in the earlier movies, there are sequences that are just about that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. A Demon with the Atomic Brain, also really, really good. I guess it's hard to pick favorites. I mean, House of Ghosts is great. They're all good, man. All right. <laughs> That's really helpful, right? <laughs> well, and since he contacted Chris, yeah. maybe Chris will have some recommendations as well. Oh, Chris is just going to say buy my movies. Yes, which he should. <laughs> he should. Well, they're 10 bucks a pop. I mean, come on. Right. I was so proud when I sold some of them. That's right. That's right. You sold some, sold uh, a couple to some coworkers. I think it was three, right? To yeah, a coworker? Yeah. Yes. That's right. He was talking about what kind of movies he's he'd like, and I was like, oh, then you gonna love this. <laughs> right on. Well, that's that's it. That's the message that I got off Facebook, and I know that's the last one I have on the list of things for you to read. I right. don't know how long we've been recording, but I don't uh, want to make you sit there at my computer uncomfortably much longer. That's okay. We're at 35. Okay. Yeah. So. Thanks for writing in, everybody. It's true, uh, Again, yes. monsterkidradio at gmail.com is the best way to have your email read on the show. You can always send me messages through Facebook as well, and I'll try to sneak them in here, but email really is the best way to go here. Or voicemail, right? And <laughs> you're going to ask me to read off the email, the voicemail number. Well. I'll go over it at the end of the show. Oh, right. <laughs> There's an MKR in it. Five MKR are the last four numbers. You'd think I'd have that down. Yeah, I would. You really do. But I had to write it on the side of the monitor when we were doing MOZ because I just couldn't remember it. Right. Well, thank you for doing the feedback. I'm glad the weather dropped a little bit. So oh, man. For so many reasons. For so many reasons, I'm glad the weather dropped. The air conditioner, the one air conditioner we have is a window unit, which mm -hmm. is right in the converted dining room area, mm -hmm. which means we have to turn off the AC when we record like this. And it so, just spikes the heat. Yeah. No. So... Thank you, Mother Nature, for cooperating. Yes. Thank you, Brenda, for reading emails. Of course. Thank you for having me. Professor Captain Director Jackson came from Phantom Lake. He came from another world, destination, outer space.
zombies attacked from the moon and house of ghosts has had its honeymoon in to the end of this episode of monster kid radio i want to thank you for tagging along and being part of edgar august poe month here on the show i'm having a blast talking about these edgar Allan poe movies I mean, it's just a lot of fun when we do these themed months and we get a lot of good response from people you know last week's movie the crime of dr crespi i know some people have checked it out like jeff owens of the classic horrors film club podcast last week he posted his own mini review of the Crime of Dr. Crespi, inspired by what we're doing here on Edgar August Poe Month. I don't know if he's going to keep doing all the films that we're doing here on the show, but if he does, I'm eager to read what he has to say. And of course, you can find that at classichorrors.club. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net where you're going to be able to find everything else we've got going on here on the show. We've got our contact information there, and I'll go ahead and go over that with you right now. I've mentioned it a couple of times throughout the episode. Monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Our voicemail line, which I still haven't memorized, but it's 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. Call in and let me know what you thought about this episode, last week's episode, or any of the previous episodes anything you want to talk about monster kid related if there's an event that you're going to that you want to talk about you think monster kids might dig it call in and i'll make a segment out of it like i do with jeff polier and the weird wednesday report if you have an event that you're going to and you want to maybe meet up with other monster kids or think other monster kids need to hear about it call in and i'll put you in the mix i really want to make this show a little bit more interactive i know it's hard because i'm just sitting here at my computer in front of a microphone yakking and editing and putting something out there but i really want to have the back and forth the conversation the community the monster kid radio heads to use the term that ken blows uses and uh, i actually kind of like that so i think i'm gonna keep 
using it. The Monster Kid Radioheads, the community is amazing. And I know we do a lot on Facebook, a little bit on Twitter, but I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to get more emails. And, you know, Brenda would like to read more of your stuff here on the show and just to be more involved in what's going on here. You know, Speaking of Ken, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I highly recommend going back to it. Well, the episode's great overall, but Ken started a new segment on the show, the famous Monsters of Filmland segment that he's doing, where he is pretty much indexing the magazine. Uh, Last week, he went through and pinpointed all the different issues of Famous Monsters of Filmland that referenced the films that we're talking about here during Edgar August Poe Month. Really fascinating. But at the end of that, there was a call to action. He was asking people to call in or write in with their own thoughts about famous monsters of Filmland. And I would love to forward that information to Ken. So again, monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call it in to 503-4795-MKR. If you have any feedback from Michael Dodd or Jeff Pollier, send it in and I'll forward it their way. Next week on the show, we're going to be talking about another Edgar Allan Poe film. Go figure. But for that one, well, it's not really based. I mean, it kind of is based. I'm okay. Uh, no, I mean, yes, the IMDB says it's inspired by or based on the Edgar Allan Poe story, dance macabre. You're gonna have to come back next week to hear me talk about castle of blood with Rod Barnett from the Nashi cast to explain just what in the heck that's about. Castle of blood. This is the shocking drama of a young writer who disregards the warning of his master, Edgar Allan Poe, and accepts a wager to pass the night in a castle of mystery and legend. The Castle of Blood. No one has ever witnessed and survived the awesome secrets, the ghostly events of this castle of the damned. I've dreamed of this night. At last I can go away with the man I love. You can't leave, Elizabeth. You're trapped in this castle. Here, the dead rise from their tombs once a year to repeat their hideous crimes of murder and passion. Kiss me. Oh, yes, my dearest. Keep on embracing me. I want to absorb the warmth of your body. For a moment, I thought that your heart had stopped. I'm dead, Alan. Every death is repeated tonight. Come. No, Elizabeth. Edgar Allan Poe's most gripping, chilling drama of horror and suspense. Rod's another one of those guys that I loved recording with, and I wish we could make it happen more often. I know I'm going to have him back on the show at some point to talk about War of the Planets, but, I mean, there's so many other movies out there that he knows a lot about that I don't. So I'd love to have him back on. And in next week's episode, during the conversation, I make an announcement about an upcoming project for Monster Kid Radio, something that I'm very excited about. It's going to be for the YouTube channel, but, I mean... You can watch a YouTube video, can't you? Go check that out. And earlier when I was playing the Classic Five with Larry, I said something about the cards being available for sale. Well, they are available for sale. Just drop me a line, and I'll tell you how you can pay for them, and I'll get them shipped out to you. The core deck, 75 cards, is $15. The Universal Expansion, the Hammer Expansion, and the Monster Bash Expansion, they are $5 a piece. Shipping within the U.S., $3. 
Again, just drop me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or track me down on Facebook and I'll let you know how you can get your own copy of the Classic Five. Okay, that's the end of the show. Thanks again for being part of the experience for me. I look forward to coming back here next week with more Monster Kid Radio goodness. Between now and then, though, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All the original content, original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. You know, I had somebody ask me what that means. Basically, everything that I create, I generate, It's owned by Monster Kid Radio LLC. Yes, it is an LLC. It is an actual company. However, Michael Dodd's Vault of Monster Collectibles, that text, he owns that. Jeff Pollier, when he calls in the Weird Wednesday Report, he owns that recording. And the music we play here on the show is owned by the bands. Calling Dr. Gang Green by the Gino Royd Experience from the album Themes from an Imaginary Spook Show. That belongs to the band, the Gino Royd Experience. Check them out. You can find them on Amazon and anywhere else you can download, stream, or purchase music online and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week when we check out Castle of Blood. Ciao. (laughs) 